Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And guys, this is really important. If you're a, uh, if you're a head of a home, if you're a husband, if you're a, a employer, make sure that you do it with meekness and with gentleness, not some kind of false bravado where you're acting like a fool and, and pounding your chest and, ca- and, and, and enjoying the power that you have over people. If that's your attitude, then you don't belong where you're at. Or at least you need to be careful. You need to learn what it means to serve people because if you're doing that, you're going to answer to God for that. How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep it from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio for today. Pastor Rob continues in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, and expresses the importance of our submission to those over us. However, those that are placed in a position of authority by God must also be gentle and understanding and not prideful. Even though Jesus was God, he tells us that he came to serve and not to be served. So in order for us all to fulfill our calling that God has given us, we must do so by serving others in humility. And now let's follow Pastor Rob with today's lesson. We've been going through 1 Peter, and last week, if you recall, we looked at the beginning of chapter 3, and we were looking at, uh, you know, for the most part, these chapter 2 and, and chapter 3 has all been about uh, submission. Submission to government, submission to masters, wives being submissive to their husbands. And, you know, there's a common theme throughout the Bible of submission because we all need to be accountable to someone. God has an order that he has created. He's created man and he's created woman. And man or woman is supposed to be uh, submitted to the man, not because the man is anything of, of himself. We're created equal in God's eyes. But our roles are different, and when we start playing with those roles and thinking that we know best, we get things all out of whack, and everything starts to break down when we start to ignore those that order that God has established. And, and it's true. In anything, there has to be order. God is a God of order. I mean, if you look even at the creation week, that when God created all things, do you notice that he made man last after he created the environment that man was to be placed in? Think of how crazy it would have been if he said, I'm going to create man first. He's going to hang out there in space until I create the world that he's going to live in. Oh, he needs water, doesn't he? Oh, I've got to better make that. I've got to figure out how to do that. And he's got to eat. I've got to figure out how to put the plants in. I've got to do all oh, animals, too. He's going to like steak, so I've got to think about mm, and the crustaceans, the lobster, and the shrimp. But God made all of that first, and then he created man last. Okay, he's a God of order. That means that his, and when we buck against that order, we are in trouble, folks. 
We are to be accountable to those above us. And it's only our pride that says, I can do better. I should be the one on the top. I don't like being the one on the bottom or the somewhere in the middle. I want to be on and see the pride of man. That's what he does. I'm better than you. I'm more qualified than you. I'm better looking than you. And my wardrobe is much better than yours. So I should be the one on top. I got the nicer car. But God says, I want you here. I've placed you here. Will you thrive and submit in there? Because if you cannot submit to authority whatever in whatever relationship you are in right now, if you can't submit to that authority, I doubt very highly that you're able to submit to God Almighty. How can you submit to someone that you can't see when you're having a hard time submitting to someone right in front of you that you can see? Does that make sense? So it's important that we do that. So we got through chapter, uh, a good, uh, about half of chapter 3, and we, we talked about wives submitting to their husbands, and then we got into verse 7, where husbands likewise dwell with your wives according to understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Not weaker in the sense of uh, personality and, and giftedness, but just God's, your, your, your nature is different than ours. Men and women are different. And instead of trying to do the role reversal thing, let God rejoice in, in, in the order that God has made. And guys, this is really important. If you're a, if you're a head of a home, if you're a husband, if you're a, a, an employer, make sure that you do it with meekness and with gentleness, not some kind of false bravado where you're acting like a fool and, and pounding your chest and, 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 and enjoying the power that you have over people. If that's your attitude, then you don't belong where you're at. Or at least you need to be careful. You need to learn what it means to serve people. Because if you're doing that, you're going to answer to God for that. That attitude, that mode of doing things. You treat people well. You love on them. You listen to them. You care for them. In whatever relationship. And I love this. He says, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. There's a wonderful grace of life. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve life. Anyone who can stand before God and say, God, I deserve this, <laughs> you're on shaky ground. Because God would have every right to say, well, because of sin, you don't deserve life at all. You deserve eternal punishment. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. I know that to be true. Until I gave my heart to Christ, I had no idea the Russian roulette that I was playing with my life. But when I finally came to him, I realized, my Lord, <laughs> How many times in my past had I, have I almost died because of poor choices that I made? And to think that I would have spent an eternity away from you. And by his grace, he allowed me to live long enough to finally come to my wit's end and say, Lord, you're the Lord of my life and I give it to you. And then Peter goes on and says, being heirs together of the grace of life, this husband and wife, and that your prayers, guys, be not hindered, you know, our prayers will be hindered if we don't take care of those things, if we don't give honor to our wives, if we don't dwell with them according to understanding. So in verse 8, he finally gets into it. He says, finally, all of you, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers and be tender-hearted, be courteous. 
not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For, and here he quotes from Psalm 34, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's go back to verse 8. He says, finally, be of one mind. This word literally means it's homophron. And, and I'm probably butchering the Greek, but it means harmonious, one-minded. It means being the same. You know, nowhere else on the planet can we have what we have in this room right now. You know, there is a diversity that we have in this fellowship that I honestly love. I love it. You know, you look around and we've got Caucasian, we have Hispanic, we have people from every different country, we got people from Ethiopia, people from Russia, and male and female, different uh, economic strata, you know, different, different people in, in different economic uh, stratas or whatever, and, and it, we're all here. We're all here, and we're united in one thing, in Christ. We're, we're very different, and we have different backgrounds, but the one thing that holds us together is the common bond that we have in Christ. We know that we've been forgiven, and all this other petty stuff, can just it just vanishes, and it ought to in a church. In the world, we see it. It's erupting, because they have no other power in their life. <laughs> But we have the Holy Spirit of God. And look, look, I mean, look, look, I mean, if you could see what I'm seeing, it's really amazing. Such diversity, but we're all unified in Christ. Now, you say diversity in our culture, and that means something completely different. Diversity in our culture means that I can be, I can be this, I can be that, I can be, I can be a, a bisexual, I can be a heterosexual, I can be a transgender, I can be whatever. And that you, you know, and that, you know, we can all be here, certainly, but if we leave the same, God help us. But that's not the diversity that I'm talking about. For the Christian, unity does not mean uniformity. It means cooperation in the midst of diversity. Someone had said this, the members of the body differ, uh, of the body work uh, together in unity, even though they are very different. And again, Christ is the one who holds us all together. He is that... We are that threefold cord, each of us, you know. Jesus at the center. He is that central cord that holds us all together. Even Paul the Apostle in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, he said this. He says, There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, meaning Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian. Scythian were uh, these invaders from, uh, from Russia in that area. Slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. So it doesn't matter. What you are, we're unified in Christ. And you know, I'm thankful, again, in this body that we, we treat each other as such. There's no, as far as I know, there's no bigotry in here. We love each other. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to like everyone. Some personalities can be a little quirky, and sometimes we can rub each other the wrong way. But at the end of the day, we're not slandering each other. We're loving each other. To me, that's the, the testimony of the grace of God. And, and the, uh, if I can use this word, I'm sorry, it just came to my mind, so I've got to tell it. The efficacy of, of what Jesus did on the cross. When you can get a people like this together, that's really something. And we love each other. 
We help each other. We pray for each other. We eat with each other. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See the hallmark of a Christian? That we love each other. That we really love each other. And I do, I I just think that is so awesome. And you know, over the years here, I've been here for, in Calvary Chapel since 1995. Kathy brought me here when we weren't even married. Uh, I was just, uh, um, many things I could say. But I was nothing, and still am actually. But I came with her, she brought me, and we never left. From Good Friday 1995 until the present day, we have been here every single service, except for when we're sick or on vacation. But you know what? I love this place. I've always loved Calvary Chapel. And I love the people. I love all of you because of who you are. And we, we know each other. And we're, we're growing in that too. And that's so wonderful. But in Psalm 133, verse 1, this is a, a song we have sung. It says, it's a psalm of David. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. To dwell together in unity. And that's what we do. We dwell together in unity. This idea of dwelling together, again, is, is unitedness and uh, altogether alike. That's what we are. In Philippians chapter 2, Beginning in verse 1, Paul said this to the Philippians. He says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, notice, and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look not only on the thing for his own interests, but also on the interests of others. And, and, you know, I look at the third and the fourth verse of that, that section there in, in Philippians, and, you know, it, it leads me to believe that I am my brother's keeper, aren't I? I am to keep an eye out. You know, do you have a neighbor who, you know, went in the house and he left his uh, lawnmower out in the front and forgot all about it? He went in for a break. Maybe he was out there mowing his grass or his... Uh, or uh, in our vernacular, a uh, snowblower. He left the snowblower out there, and he went in to have a cup of hot coffee, fell asleep, and then forgot all about that his thing was out there and the, could be stolen. Do you take it in and put it in his garage? Or do you, you know, these are the kinds of things that Christians do. We are our brother's keeper. May the world around us see us united, and not, not in so much what we oppose, but in whom we are united in. You know, when you think about a Christian, someone may ask you, well, what is Christianity all about? And someone might answer, well, we're opposed to this, and we're opposed to that, and we can't stand this, we hate that, we're, we're definitely against this, and it's like, well, what are, we, what are we for? What are we for? Most of the world knows what we're against. Let's be about telling them what we're for. <laughs> Tell them what we're for. Are we one in Christ? And what do we stand for? Do we stand for truth? Do we stand for absolute truth? Because there is absolute truth. If I take, uh, if that beam wasn't firmly affixed to this beam here, this thing would fall on my head. That's, that's absolute truth. Those are the laws of, of gravity. And there's nothing that's going to circumvent that. 
unless God intervenes. Right? They're absolute truths. These chairs that you're sitting on are red. The sky is blue. The sun is white-yellow. There are truths that we need to hold to, and because of our culture, we make it nice and smooth. It's called relativism. Well, if it works for you, then it's okay. It's a truth for you, but it's not really a truth for me. No, real truth is truth, and the truth that you and I hold is right here. It's contained in the Scripture. Jesus said before Pilate, I am truth, right? And Pilate said, what is truth? And he had no idea that the very embodiment of truth was standing right before him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Do we stand for the truth? Do we stand for righteousness? To do right things? To live holy lives? Do we stand for holiness? Do we stand for Jesus Christ and the inerrancy and the inspiration of the word of God? Do you believe that? That this is inspired by God, not just written by a bunch of men? I believe that with all my heart. And the more I read it, the more I'm convinced of it. It's sort of like putting, um, putting even greater weight. Every time I read the Bible, it's like there's an extra weight, and it's so heavy now, so heavy. Let it be so convicting to your heart. Let it be so made so true to you that it would just resound straight through you and there'd be nothing and no one that could wrestle it away from you. No smart person. There's a lot of people who are a lot smarter than I am that can swim circles around me intellectually, but they cannot take me from this. And don't let them take you from it either. You may not be able to give all the answers. And that's okay. There's a lot of things I don't know. But what I know, you're not going to take out of my hands. Do you believe that we need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit of God? How do you live then? If you don't expect the Spirit of God to come upon you, are you asking him? If you're a believer, the Spirit of God has indwelt you, but we need the witness of the Spirit. We need the power of God upon us. And that's up to him. That's up to him. I, can't, I don't have an app on my phone where I can just say, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. There's no app. If there was a button, I'd just keep my hand on the button. But that's God's business. But I want to be open to it, don't you? Because I can't live apart from him. Neither can you. You can try, and you might even be successful to some extent. But your life is meaningless and empty without him. And you're certainly not going to be empowered to share the truth that he has given to you with others. And it's, it's going to fall flat on the ground unless God does something with that word. He did it on the day of Pentecost, didn't he? Peter, do you believe in the imminency of the rapture of the church? Jesus is coming back for his church. Do you believe it? I believe it. We've been waiting for quite a while, but the Bible says that to the Lord, one day or one year, or one day is like a thousand years, and a a thousand years is just one day to him. It seems like a long time for us, but things are winding down, folks. We can see it. So he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion one for another. This idea of compassion is sympathies in the Greek, and it literally means suffering or feeling the like with another. When somebody is going through something. You know, I love the the thing that's recently happened to me, you know, the scare that I had, and and, and I really don't believe it's a scare anymore, honestly, but it did scare me for a while, and and we'll find out the results soon, but I'll, I'll confess that I was. But... Going to that place, you know, is really good for me because now I'm going to be able to minister to people who have it. 
because I'm going to understand what they, at least initially, what they went through. And I can comfort them with the comfort that I've been comforted with of God. Isn't that what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4? See, these things are all by God's design. He's changing us. He's teaching us. Amen? In Romans chapter 12, you know, this idea of compassion... Romans chapter 12, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. And be of the same mind one toward another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Finally, he says, verse 8 there, Have compassion for one another, and love as brothers. Love as brothers. This idea is Philadelphos. This word only occurs once in the New Testament, and here it is. We know the word phileo means a brotherly love, and that's quite in, in the Bible quite a few times. But this word is very um, pretty much like that. It's brotherly love, like the love we have for one another. You know, in the English Bible, we see the word love translated. Uh, it, it's, it's put there as love. But do you know in the Greek, there are many different shades of the word that our translators translated that into the word love. But in the Greek, those are different, very different words. And by context, we know this. I can say that I, I, um, I love my fat bike, right, Dave? I, love, I may love my fat bike. Um, do you know what a fat bike is? It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a bike for heavy people. No, just kidding. It's, uh, no, it, it's, uh, I, may, I may say I love my fat bike, but I can say, well, I love my wife. And by context, you know, well, there's got to be a very different uh, meaning between between those two contexts, right? If I love my wife the same way I love as my as what I love my bike, there's some problems. We got to square away. I can also say I love my my daughter. I love my you know my friends or you know people that I'm close to. I love all of you. It's a different kind of love. And even in Hollywood, they represent a love that's all sensual, and that that's a different word. It's eros. And then there's a love that God has, which is benevolent love, which means it's, it's, it's not dependent upon getting something in return. It's always self-sacrificing, and that's the kind of love which we know as agape. Agape love. But there is a difference between those words. But Peter is saying love as brothers, and that's the idea of brotherly love. Love each other. In Romans chapter 13, he says this, in verse 8, he says, Owe no man anything except to love. Agapeo. There's another, another facet of that word. Love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then finally, in verse 10, he says this, He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Again, a different word for love, agape. And that is the kind of love that God has for us. He says, of all that kind of love, he says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Because a love is self-sacrificial. It's it's self-sacrificing. It's not self-centered. It doesn't boast. Remember in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is not boastful. It's not unkind. It's not harsh. It's all those lists of things that we see. And there abides these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love. Finally, it says, be tenderhearted. We're still in verse 8 here. Be tenderhearted. Be sympathetic. 
Actually, it's interesting in the in the original language. It says having strong bowels. Having strong bowels. That's kind of fun, isn't it? In the English, in the in the King James. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in First Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.